No one is going to solve your most challenging product marketing problems for you other than you. You're literally informing people how to think about the category that you're building as opposed to just like letting other people take part in that conversation. Who can take the customer from where they are to where we want them to be? And the backbone of that is product marketing. What role does product marketing play in the creation of content at B2B SaaS companies? Ask a dozen marketers this question, and you'll likely get as many different answers. And that's with good reason. This has traditionally been an incredibly gray area for a lot of marketing teams. But on today's episode, we're going to unpack this problem with my guest, John Henry Shirk, Principal Consultant at Growth Plays. John Henry, or JH as I call him, helps B2B SaaS companies with search engine optimization, analysis, content, and growth strategy. And he has a really interesting viewpoint on the role of product marketing in creating great content that impacts everyone, from growth marketers to content to product marketing and sales. So let's jump in and hear from JH on first person. So JH, you've got a ton of experience working with both content and product marketing teams to achieve search and business goals. But one of the things that you told me, and I find really interesting, is that you think we're seeing a resurgence of the role of product marketing, specifically as it relates to content. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different reasons why product marketing is growing. I think on the SEO side, there was a big switch with like how Google essentially evaluated pages based on, uh, it's become more of like a buzzword now, but like user intent, like what does the user want? And you can't really just force a page anymore. It really has to help the user. And if they don't engage with the page and, and have a good experience with it, which means essentially not like landing on the page and immediately going somewhere else uh, that's like lower down on the page, like that's a pretty bad signal for Google. So it's less about just like firing up direct response landing pages and making as many of those as possible. For something like a term like uh, like product analytics, that's not a that's not a DR search. Neither is product analytics tools. That's someone who's looking for a buyer's guide and to like sum up the market. So now that in search, we can't just stand up these direct response landing pages and launch tons and tons and tons of those and then fill the funnel that way. It's just things have changed. And I think that it, it also kind of ties hand in hand with the consumerization of the enterprise. Like people don't just want to sign up for a demo. They want to self-educate. And if you don't allow that on your site, they're going to go to G2 Crowd and TrustRadius and SoftwareAdvice.com. They're going to go to competitor sites who do give them that material. So instead of trying to force the user into a demo before they're ready, because like someone who is searching for something like BI tools or distributed systems monitoring platform, that is someone who's looking to make a consideration set because if they knew which brands they're already interested in, they'd be searching for and comparing them. It's non-branded category terms, like what your category does in software. Those are becoming more of a educational experience and less of a transactional experience. And in order to make those experiences work on the content side, like you need to understand how to use that content as a platform for thought leadership and product marketing and not just stand up a form and say like, would you like a demo? Um, if you have very solid product market fit and like it's an established category, small business invoicing software, that's a different ballpark. And that's something where people will just sign up pretty quickly. It's like not a long sales process. It's a pretty quick purchase. Like I use FreshBooks. It's a fine product. I thought about it for maybe five minutes, as opposed to like, if you're building monitoring and tracing for distributed systems, that's a pretty well thought out purchase. So the idea of just like throwing up a direct response page and being like, we're going to get qualified leads this way, like people aren't there yet. 
So because the search algorithm has changed in a way, it's actually made me have to become a better product marketer. And I think overall, though, just with where content was going, there was a disconnect and there was a val an intrinsic value given to eyeballs that I don't think really existed. And with how advanced you can be with attribution tracking or like with Heap, which is a product that I love and they are a customer, but I've been using the product for years before I ever worked with them. Like their Salesforce integration can actually show you what are the initial landing pages and channels that accounts come in on. And you can actually see the quality of the users that come in from those pages. So, you know, if you categorize pages in a proper analytics solution, you can be like, this actually drives business. And then if you look at the blog, you're like, listen, we have, we have four people writing for this. Like this isn't doing anything. Like there just, there wasn't really the ability to track that end to end. I'd say like eight, nine years ago when I first started doing this. So just about like getting a lot of traffic and also like the SEO was such a easy system to work in. Like there was sites that you could go to that you could get links from, you could change the H1s and the title tags on the site and you could be ranking and getting new traffic in like a day or two. Search is so saturated now that it's really about like, are you going to be one of the, like the four best experiences for this query? And if you're not, you're going to get almost no traffic. So it really was, it started out like SEO started out as like a war of attrition, essentially of like who could build more links and spin up more pages. And now it's become really about like who can take the customer from where they are to where we want them to be. And the backbone of that is product marketing. Ooh, I love that. That brings up about 500 things that I want to talk about more. <laughs> so, you know, barring any real spirals, um, I guess I kind of love that. And I think, you know, it really does speak to this convergence of product marketing and content marketing. I guess if you were tasked with standing up one of those SEO programs for a really considered purchase, and you were working with product marketing specifically, how would you want to approach that? Where does the product marketer come into play and what role does the content marketer play as well? Because I think there's some very gray area there that I'd love to chat through with you. So every product marketer I've worked with has been pretty busy. And the idea that they can become like an editor on the content team is often not a reality. Like some of them will write. And I think like product marketers can do some really good thought leadership pieces. But when it comes to making little buyer's guides and whatnot, they may want to edit some pieces. But I think what product marketing really needs to do is in order to be effective is to distill down frameworks for content creators so that they can essentially like operate with a product marketer's mind. And there's a few things that we do to help with that. I think one is it's actually something I'm working on now. It's like a, uh, pain solution promise land workflow where you talk about there's all like in a database, basically like all the different pains that customers could essentially be experiencing that would lead them to get to the product, an explanation of how the solution solves for that. And then the third sort of item in the database is how is their life meaningfully better after it's been implemented and like, what are they free to now do? Or what is, what is a better experience for them in the workplace? So being able to understand like really where does the product fit in? Because when I was at Zenefits, I don't think I ever learned anything about insurance. And, you know, I'd say, and and that's my own fault. It's like, I didn't, I should have self-educated better. Same with Doxend. I should become like the master of sales enablement if I wanted to create all that content. But mainly it was about like getting stuff out the door. And there just wasn't time for this like Zen-like experience where we all powwow and deeply understand the product. It's just something that you kind of are expected to pick up. So creating like codified systems for people who don't have the business acumen, especially on like, 
you're doing anything with like deep tech or, or infrastructure, like the people who are creating the content, even if they're technical writers, are probably not going to understand how the, the customer as well as a product marketer will. So distilling that information down, whether that's like in a database that people can have access to that helps them understand need and pain, or whether that's uh, building very specific battle cards about how we are different than the status quo and how we are different than the other solutions in the market and why people decide with us and like what those triggers are. I think like, a great example is with Heap, like they're in the product analytics space, but like their most unique attribute is that they capture all user data and make tag management a thing of the past. So understanding the importance, like writers on that team understand the importance of like, you need to be bringing up manual tag management and the pain that it causes when applicable to this content, because that's a pain that we really solve for. Because a lot of the conversations I have with existing companies when they come in, they're worried about like H1 tags and, you know, do we have the right page load, this and that? And it's more like, well, if the content doesn't like actually convert your buyer, because this is content-led growth as opposed to like product-led growth, where you're like have an e-commerce website or an Airbnb listing, and the website literally does the work for you. This is about landing the person on the page and converting them and getting them to like really kind of see the world through your point of view. And I don't think most content creators come from that background. So having that information distilled down, like I think it's product marketing's job to sort of tell the product story and make that something that is something that content writers can pick up and run with. And that's, an, I think, like the best use of product marketers working with the content team. I think that it's great, especially like buyer's guides or things that like tell people how to buy uh, whether that's like an, actually like an evaluation rubric, which doesn't name specific competitors or like a versus page or an alternatives page. Um, product marketing should probably take a, like a final glance at that. But, you know, for your best practices for role function, like they're not going to have time to, to look over all that stuff. So understanding how to hook in the product into your content in a tasteful way that will appeal to the user or the potential, I should say, potential customer and also like make the USP of the product shine. Like that's not something most content creators are going to do. So having that information distilled down is really like where I think that collaboration can take place. Yeah, I agree. It's like, it's all about creating frameworks for the content team, but obviously also sticking to them. And then having product marketers actually underscore the pain. So it seems like they have to really be experts in the pain themselves, which I think is so spot on. And then I think telling the product story from all of the different perspectives of a, you know, a specific solution. So not just a, a high level brand story, which I think people default to quite a bit, even in product marketing, but also specifically you know, a feature or line story as well. Does that seem accurate? Yeah. Yeah. And I think... There's a tendency in technical companies with product marketers to be somewhat removed from the customer. And that that responsibility kind of can sometimes fall on the community lead or like the like the developer relations person. And I think for product marketing, it's not just about like understanding the technical specs and like the different functionalities and the different integrations, but really like the why behind people gravitate towards this product and why they use it. And I've seen a lot of companies do competitive analysis and it comes out to like a list of features and like pricing information and things that really you don't have that much control over other than just like creating a grid, but understanding the why of like, why do, why do we lose deals to this customer? 
or excuse me, to this competitor? Why do we, and why do we just absolutely win against this one? Like, what is the difference there? And kind of distilling that information and getting in the head of the customer, I think is like a critical role for product marketing, because that's really going to be the backbone of like how you grow the business is understanding the customer and their needs and how it relates to the product. I think that's like very specifically the function of product marketing in a, in a broad sense. So I think it's really critical, even in technical companies for a product marketer to understand the why behind why customers are signing up and why they choose your product as opposed to all the different solutions in the status quo. So we've talked a lot about product marketing and and their responsibilities with regard to content, but switching gears a little bit to talk about a topic that is near and dear to both our hearts, content marketing. I'm kind of curious what your take is on the state of content marketing today, because I know from my perspective, and I feel like somehow we've been involved in tangential conversations with like Camille Rexton about content and its evolution on Twitter. But that aside, I'm super curious to get your thoughts on kind of like the state of content marketing today and where we're kind of maybe veering off course. Yeah, it's a great question. I still think content is viewed somewhat as a commodity and it can has a tendency to just be like an activity that gets done without a lot of thought into it. And there are some companies that do a really good job with content. And when I say content, I don't just mean blog posts that tie to like SEO keywords. Content is a lot bigger than SEO. What I focus on is like a tiny part of the marketing mix. But I think when I think of one company who's doing like a really good job, I think of Lumi. They are managed package pack like a if you if you're a DTC company and you need packaging, like they are the one-stop shop for getting your custom branded packaging figured out. If you go to their YouTube video, if you are spinning up an e-commerce store and you need to learn about packaging, they have dozens and dozens of videos that walk you through literally like some of the most boring stuff ever about packaging, but they make it fun and interesting. And I think one thing that I really appreciate about the Lumi channel is that it's clearly made for YouTube. Like the videos are not, it's not a content repository for the, all the video that they make. It is video that's specifically meant for a YouTube audience. And I'm, I'm also like terrified of these zillennials that are going to come out with very handy video skills that can just shoot quickly and make good looking video. Lumi though, get in the head of an e-commerce store that's like pretty new. They haven't done shipping before and they are kind of growing up as a business the idea of like trying to pick all your own packaging and whether you need like poly mailers or like how to approach international shipping or picking the right type of tape to close your box. Like there's generally not a lot of, especially if you're on like an entrepreneurial journey with e-commerce, like there's not, you can't turn to your friends and be like, Hey, what kind of tape do you use for shipping like this apparel good? Like you're, that's not something that like you need a community for that. And if you don't have a community falling into Lumi's YouTube is fantastic. And then the other thing I really like is they do unboxing videos of like very strong DTC brands and kind of go through how are the best in class people approaching packaging. And like, you know, it sounds so boring, but like those videos are actually kind of entertaining. I can see why they get a lot of views, but I would imagine the thing that I really love about this, as opposed to like, and not to pick on your former employer, Kissmetrics, but like the people who were reading the Kissmetrics blog, the likelihood of them buying Kissmetrics was like less than 1% for who was on that site. And 
the only people watching like the unboxing of the Judy emergency kit or what is a cherry lock or what is Kemi and what is private label and lithographic printing? Like those are people that are trying to build a business around shipping. So I think they like really understand what are our customer needs. And like, I wouldn't be surprised if they went through like support and chat and figured out some of these questions. And it doesn't, cause it doesn't seem to all align to search volume, but it's a really great one-stop learning center and also like brand exploration where you can see like how the best of the best do it. And it's all on YouTube. And I just think like very, very well done. The other brand I think is doing just a really good job with content is Mixpanel. Um, they recently put out a guide to product analytics and it is phenomenal. It's really like a combination of thought leadership and product marketing and demand generation and account creation that weaves in customer stories and it's one of like the finer pieces of content I've seen. I think a few years ago, it would have been like a very intense ebook that they probably printed out and like brought to conferences. And I just, when someone wants an ebook, I don't know if the best thing to get them into is a Marketo engagement flow of just like, are you ready for a demo? We have more webinars coming up. So just un the whole thing and making it as shareable as possible. That is, I, I kind of think the move with content, it goes along with the consumerization of the enterprise. It's just like, I think everything is kind of going to be on everyone's schedule now. It's going to be hard to, I, I get so many emails from so many different tools. It's just, it's not unique and clever anymore. And I don't need to get squeezed through the funnel. So I kind of take my own time and I think ungating content and making it very deep and informative and interactive and, and nurturing in a sense that gets you to understand how to use the product is sort of where things are going as opposed to like, here's our ebook behind a paywall, give us your email. And then you got to unsubscribe if you want to stop hearing from us four times a week. Lumi on the video side, I just think to quote Marshall McLuhan, like the medium is the message and all that. Lumi really understands that the medium is the message with YouTube. And whenever I do, I don't do, I don't like doing competitive analysis that much, but when I do do it, and we look at YouTube, there's generally like one brand that's like they use YouTube as YouTube. Everyone else is using it as a content repository and they've got no engagement. So it's understanding like the channel there. And I think some brands are starting to understand YouTube is different than video, which sounds like so obvious to anyone under 25. But, you know, yeah, I think in terms of like very solid content, I uh, that mixed panel piece with OpenView is like one of the better pieces of content I think I've ever seen. I think you bring up a host of really good points there. I wanted to double back on the Kiss Metrics one for a second because so when I was there, people certainly used the blog for gathering information. The problem that we saw was that no one was actually doing anything after that. And at the time I was actually on the product marketing side at Kiss Metrics. And it was just a really interesting challenge to have because at HubSpot, you know, we definitely also have that problem where we need to start creating funnels from the blog to you know, actual conversions. Do you have any sense for like, if you're talking to a client today who's kind of in a similar spot, they have this blog, you know, maybe they're getting traffic to it, but they really don't have any clue about how to turn that into something valuable. What, what do you tell them to do? So this is such a good question because a lot of times people are like, how can we fix what we have? And if you already have the traffic generation side, like if you're able to generate traffic from search or from social or whatever, like you've figured something out. Um, hopefully it's from search because if you can generally, like you can create some traffic from search, you can create more traffic from search. 
And then it's just really about like mapping the purchase journey and creating new content that aligns to that purchase journey and moving the library of content over to that direction. So for, if a company is able to like get some traffic and produce content, it's really about like changing the process of how content is produced and, and how the calendar is decided. I'd say I do hear from companies that are like, we, and we want you to look at our marketing site and like really see like what, what you can drive out of there. And I think, um, I was working with one customer recently where they ranked like in position seven with their, their marketing site for, uh, like their most important, their category term in the word software. And look in Google search console, it gets like 0.2% click through when you're on the bottom of the page. So really figuring out like what is the right content format for the query and then creating that. Like it's generally a matter of when we're just to back up a little bit, when you are in this place of like, we're getting some traffic, it doesn't really work for the company. It doesn't really create revenue. Oftentimes that's companies that are like creating content for themselves in mind and like their own journey and story that they want to tell. And they're not really thinking about like where are customers at and what pain and need do they have? So again, like bringing it back to the customer and writing for like their jobs to be done and their problems at work and showing pathways to solutions for that problem, whether that's like a free calculator or template to help them make decisions in the workplace, whether that is a demo for your tool, if they are at like a sophisticated need and they understand they need a solution and it's not just like a process change or just writing about like topics that they care about rather than like terms that you're interested in creating. Like I've seen a lot of companies write uh, a lot of category creation stuff that it's like, it's really like, I, in my opinion, like the category creation stuff should be worked into the rest of the content, but you don't need to define your category 10 times. There should be like one manifesto that people can really go and like learn what it is that you're building and how your vision is different from what else is out there. But I see it get like rehashed a lot. And that's typically not stuff that people just engage with and share and really care about the things that they engage with and share and really care about are like useful things that help them do their day to day. So there is a place for those, like, this is our vision. This is what we're thinking. I just think that there's like a, a bigger marketing mix that needs to happen, or I shouldn't say marketing mix, bigger content mix that needs to happen. And a lot of that comes down to like templates, tools, calculators, evaluation rubrics, buyer's guides, things that help people make critical decisions in the workplace, rather than just like, here's our philosophy, here's our vision, here's our podcast where we talk about the things that we want to talk about. So oftentimes, yeah, I think, but if you are able to get some traffic, it's really like, I mean, you should, I mean, my first two steps generally in most engagements are like, who are our direct competitors and how do we stand up versus pages against them? How do we create alternative pages for like the big, the big broad competitors like uh, that have like significant search volume. So if people are looking for like buffer alternatives or Hootsuite alternatives, that would be if I was working in like a social media management space. That's, uh, you know, kind of helping people create buyer's guides that help them sum up the market in like against the lens of like a Hootsuite and say like, what else, what else should I be considering and what else is out there? And then creating buyer's guides to rank for the main term, like social media management buyer's guide. But I think again, like there's this tendency to just want to talk to like your ideal customer. And in search, it's really about appealing to the broadest audience and then engaging your ICP through that. So like really appealing to two audiences at once. The people who are never going to buy and just need to kind of get like a gleam of the information. Like maybe they just want a definition. Maybe they just want to understand why it's important. And then folks that are like are fully enabled to buy, have budget, are engaged. That content needs to work for both of those audiences. A much smarter marketer than I, uh, his name is Chris Lemma. He's a great developer too. 
Um, he uh, calls it the Disney strategy and I've stolen it from him. But it's basically about like you have to have jokes for the kiddos and you also need some things to appeal to the adults or they're both going to want to walk out of the movie. So having that appealing to those two audiences at once with search, like not alienating a general audience with your like what is content, but also being able to get people to understand the importance of it, where the space is going, how to evaluate tool sets in that space, and then getting into deeper material. Like that's that's how the content really needs to, I think, kind of work. that everyone's default is, oh, well, the decision maker is someone in the C-suite. So let's just write a whole bunch of thought leadership content. But the problem with that is that if you have a somewhat technical product, you know, you're writing for C-suite, practitioner consumes that content or attempts to consume that content as just lightweight, you know, it, it doesn't do what you were talking about previously, which is address the actual jobs that they're trying to get done on a daily basis. We talked about it a lot at WP Engine because that was actually a very interesting business where you have people signing up for a $39 a month account and people signing up for a $10,000 a month account. So the website needed to work for both of those audiences. But at the, with search, there's a bigger lesson there of like, if your content only appeals to 1% of people who are searching for this term, then it's not going to rank for long because it's going to throw off some bad user signals. People are going to bounce from it. And just like to even go further, I was working with one company in the SOC 2 space, like they do SOC 2 for, for basically SaaS startups. And they came to the engagement being like SOC 2 for SaaS. That's all we want to write about. That's all we care about. That's all we do. And I was like, listen, I get you. Our tools estimate that this gets around five visits a month. We could find a happy surprise here and get 100 visits a month max. That's about what I've seen in the space. You are expecting people to append the industry they work on onto the end of their search and that is just not how the broad set of people focus, uh, people who search for SOC 2 search. They don't say SOC 2 for fintech or SOC 2 for stats. So what we need to do is create a broad guide for SOC 2 where the intro works for everybody. But when we pull them down below the fold, it starts speaking to SaaS companies as the subtext. We don't want to alienate anybody. We want this to work for everybody. But like the examples that you use come from SaaS companies. The customer references that you use, well-known SaaS companies it still should work for anyone who wants to learn about SOC 2. And if it doesn't, it won't work for search. And this is a very interesting exercise because there should be content on your site that only works for your ideal customer profile, but they need to find that through like the navigation or through product pages that's like linked to of like, read how we think about this or sales needs to give it out or demand gen needs to give it out through email flows. But like it, that's not very much like discoverable content. And in order for something to be discoverable in search, at least, it needs to pretty much work for anyone who'd be searching for that product. And there are some terms that are going to lead just to upmarket folks. But I think like a great one is if you look at the requirements management space, you could be a three-person team trying to get requirements management software for your small product that you're building. Or you could be a 10,000-person like aerospace build business building spaceships. So... That that if you wanted to rank for requirements management or like a guide to requirements management, that content would need to work for both of those people. And basically figuring out how to get your ideal customer engaged and going deeper into the funnel while not alienating people who aren't a fit for your funnel is like the real, I'd say, 
that's one of the toughest aspects of creating content for SEO right now, appealing to two audiences at once. Right. I mean, I don't think anyone's totally cracked that. There's just too many factors involved, right? I mean, I think you have obviously the content itself, like making it valuable um, to both of those audiences. But then I think you just have a slew of concerns with regard to conversions. Once they discover it, what are you actually getting them to do on the page? I mean, there's so many competing sort of, um, you know, elements that people get hung up on. And I think that's what makes this task so completely overwhelming for most B2B companies. For sure. But to, to kind of like go back or like to just spin off on a total tangent here, I think if product marketing can work with content to distill down, like what is our USP and why does that matter? Even when people are in the very early stages and looking for like best practices or templates or just like understandings of the function, if you can work in the unique aspects of your product and frame them as table stakes for the category, when people do go to make those purchase decisions and they go to a competitor and like, oh, you don't have function XYZ, isn't that critical for making the type of analysis that we need to do? So I think that um, by framing your product as, and like what makes it unique as just core to the category or core to the functions or core to the jobs to be done, if the content team is creating content with that mindset and with that knowledge, I think that the purchase journey can naturally end up in your favor without just like trying to force conversions and trying to force forms because people will see your product as like essential and other competitors as having gaps. So it's a really subtle point that you make, but I actually think it's a really important one to underscore. And that is that you have to take your product and have that USP become your educational talking point to the audience. You know, so it's it's not enough to educate them about the space. You have to subtly work in that the way you do things as a product is the only way that they can be done. So, like, you know, I think an interesting point on that is like uh, I do every now and then have like a senior executive in the sales process say to me, like, are you talking about like what is content? Like you want us to write a post on what is application performance monitoring? And it's like, well, listen, if a business buyer who is not a technical user, like someone in finance needs to understand what this category is, don't you want to be the one to frame it for them? And instead of thinking about just people use our product to do X, anyone who could use our product wouldn't need to think about a definition to the space. They wouldn't need to understand what the category does. They know it and they're, they're so advanced. It's like, well, it's not actually just your buyer making the sale when, especially when it's like mid-market enterprise. I've worked inside of plenty of SaaS companies and bought plenty of tools Oftentimes, when it gets to a certain price point, I don't have the the permission to be able to make those level of purchases, whether it's the CFO or, or the controller or whoever, they need some type of information on what the product does and what it is. And having that, it, it's a form of like sales enablement and not even just sales enablement, but like actually moving through the buying process, like the paper process of getting the deal signed. There could be someone who's like, well, what does this actually do? And why are we paying this much for it? I wasn't expecting this to come out of the budget. So being able to define the category, being able to define the, the topic that the category relates to, whether that's like product management or DevOps or uh, SRE, having that be in your own vision is a huge asset that goes beyond just like, how do we get direct response conversions today? You're literally informing people how to think about 
the category that you're building, as opposed to just like letting other people take part in that conversation and saying things that may not go align with your product philosophy or your company philosophy or what you're building for. Okay, so I want to get tactical for a minute because I think much of SEO, particularly for large, uh, like for enterprise companies, is a bit of a mystery. SEO is kind of hard to unpack. And so when people finally realize they need help with SEO, I tend to think that that's a really tough spot to be in. And so they probably come to you to sort of extract them from this mess. So I'd love to know what's your sort of process for working with companies to get an SEO program on track? And can you even do that? What does that look like? Do you work with people internally? I want to hear both, you know, the horror stories and the success stories. Really good question. Um, So I think one thing, like uh, most buyers come to me and the first thing they want is an audit. And for B2B SaaS companies, like unless you are, you know, Cisco.com and you have you've gone through tons of CMSs, lots of redirects, there's been a ton of different site owners Unless that's the case, there's not going to be a ton of technical debt. And that's usually what a technical audit fixes. With most CMSs today, like SEO is somewhat baked in. And I think, and SEO professionals will scoff at like a Squarespace ad or whatever, but it's like, yeah, you can easily edit your title tags. You can easily edit your meta descriptions. When I was doing SEO 10 years ago, there's people like, oh yeah, we can't do that. We're hoping to be able to do that next year. Like they weren't enabled to really like change the site. And so there's some tools out there like Sitebulb is a favorite of mine. And it basically will just crawl your site and give you a list of like everything that's impacting your SEO, whether that's like your JavaScript is firing before your CSS or you've got broken links or you've got redirect chains or whatever it is. It'll let you know. So like that technical aspect is being fairly automated on content sites. But where technical SEO is like really effective is like, hey, we have product led SEO like Airbnb and then people take their houses off and then put them back on. And like, how do we handle those pages? Like that's the big brain technical stuff that like, that's where the technical SEO like really matters. Like we have this one-off weird function of our website. And like, how do we handle that to be able to maintain those rankings as best as possible? So like, that's where the big guns and technical SEO comes out. For the most part, SEO is about creating content. So I really like to understand like, how do you create content today? Who creates that content? And I think like the biggest red flag for me is like, oh, we have a junior Uh, they're like, they were an intern there. This is their first job and uh, they run the blog and like they publish stuff for us and they do a newsletter and it's like, all right, well, that's more of just like an activity. That's not a function. So, um, and then I try and figure out basically like where are buyers today? Like, is there transactional volume around like competitors? Is there big brands that we can go after? Or is this like so new that they just need to like post on medium and tell stories about what they're building? Like there is no market for this yet. They're like very, very early stage. But typically it's about really mapping out all of the bottom of the funnel content pieces, whether those are versus pages or alternative pages or buyer's guides. And then actually saying like, what are the different keywords that people are searching for and how to, and what content does that fit into? Like if we wanted to rank for content analytics and user analytics and customer analytics, those would all be different pages. Like it'd be very hard to sandwich that all into one page. Like search is very much about solving the exact need for the exact intent rather than just like, where do we stuff these keywords and what can we get away with? So it's about really figuring out like, what are the most important pieces of content to create and what are we going to do this quarter and who is going to do it? And what do they need to get it done? Like if you look for something like Jenkins tutorial, 
that's all video results showing up. So it's clear, like if you want to be a provider of information on Jenkins tutorials, you need to create long form video. Like there's a two and a half hour video ranking that walks people through everything they need to know about Jenkins. And Google's not just going to put video up there if people aren't engaging with video, like they'll remove that pretty quickly. If there is solid packs of video results, it's clear that people want video. So understanding like do what, what are the media formats, like basically the inputs that we need to do to, to hit our goals and then resourcing that. I think uh, for some reason, companies are very big on outsourcing content. So does this have to be done in-house or can B2B marketing teams outsource this to say an agency? I think that there is a place for agencies to create content, but I have yet to see a company really, an agency really figure out how to do product marketing as a service that falls into content. So I think instead of looking for like, who's a writer that we can hire that can just knock this out, really figuring out like internally how we're going to resource this. And that could be a contract writer that you work with and educate. But the idea of like, oh, they have access to some docs and they've read some things and they've read our site. They're going to create this awesome buyer's guide that that relates to our customers and, and we'll get them to convert and see the value of our product. That is very far-fetched for me. I think the internet is too mature for that, much like I think the internet is too mature for link building. When like 10 years ago, I used to, I was like a, a, a very effective little link builder at pink sites and people would be like, oh, you want a link from my little site? I am so flattered. However, did you find me? And it's like, oh, I've got automated processes to figure this stuff out and send these emails very quickly. And now people get 10, 20, 30 of those emails a day for, you know, their, their site that they haven't updated in five years. I get some of those emails on my personal site. I haven't touched that in a long time. And I just think, again, like the internet's too mature for that. So it's better to bake in that promotability with some decent design and some good usability and some interesting visuals into the content rather than going around and like trying to will it into existence by begging people to link for it. So making something that's a bit promotable, putting that budget into the end user experience rather than just like sheer ground and pound promotion of begging for links. Like it's the same idea of like, can we, if your business was easy enough to build that you could just hire some random folks and they could expertly market your product, everyone would have an a million dollar SaaS business or a billion dollar SaaS business, I should say. Like it's, it's like product marketing is complex and it shouldn't just be outsourced to some random. So I think it's about like building that internal growth engine. And that doesn't mean full-time hires, headcount in the office, pumping out content day and night. It could be about finding like a steady stable of contract writers, but I've never seen a company be fully reliant on vendors for content creation and scale that up into an effective channel. Just the unit economics tend to not work. There's places where vendors can fit in very well. I think Animals does a great job of creating the content that they create that's like very promotable, very interesting, brings people to the site. But like, I don't think Animals creates versus pages and alternative buyer's guides that walk into like how you should be picking a BI solution. I do share a few clients with them. I've seen their work. Their work is fantastic. That's just like not really what they do. And I don't think an agency should be creating like the buyer's guide. Like that should be an internal process because really only your full-time employees are going to understand that. And if they can distill that down to contract writers who write for you and have direct exposure to the brand, that's great. But if you're working with a company where you have an account manager, that account manager is hiring various freelance writers, those freelance writers never really talk to you. I, there's you're playing a game of telephone with your product marketing and it just never comes out right. And I think making it like a well-tuned internal function that can be supported by contractors is really like where companies need to be open to going 
Because if the whole thing is like, we just need other people to do it for us, that tends to not scale. It can, if, if you need it for a f- just a few things, if you're early stage, that can work. But if you're at a stage of maturity where you really need to grow the channel, you need to figure out how to make it an internal function rather than just like, how do we outsource this so we don't even have to think about it? Because no one is going to solve your most challenging product marketing problems for you other than you. SEO has evolved from a war of attrition to what it is today, a battle to see who can take a potential prospect or customer from where they are to where they want to be. That's according to John Henry Shirt, and I think he's onto something. But that can be particularly hard for the marketers who are still trying to get prospects to play by their rules. Sign up for a demo, attend a webinar, convert to a customer. Put simply, today's buyers want things on demand and not on your schedule, which I think has two outcomes or effects. First and foremost, it raises the bar for the content we're creating as product and content marketers. No doubt about it. And two, it forces us to get smarter about the buyer journey and real customer needs and not our needs as marketers. Today's buyer, even the niche segments, are the same people who binge Netflix shows and expect next day delivery from Amazon. What are the odds they're going to keep coming to a webinar with a date and time you picked because it's close to that upcoming event or release or the end of the quarter? The odds are slim. You can't force people down a funnel that's built around what you want as a marketer anymore. And it's time everyone takes note. 